So in other words, it's not just what you experience in life, it's how do you relate to yourself when things are difficult? Are you an inner ally? Do you have your own back? Are you an inner enemy? Are you constantly uh, cutting yourself down, shaming yourself? That's Dr. Kristen Neff, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. Appreciate you tuning in with me today as we have yet another returning speaker making her way back to the show. And she is making just a huge impact on the world with her work. And I was actually listening to Brene Brown's Power of Vulnerability on Audible. And she mentioned and actually just praised Dr. Kristen Neff's work and all the great things that she's doing around compassion. And Dr. Kristen Neff is here to talk about the importance of compassion and what we can do to cultivate more compassion, not only for ourselves, but also for others. So without further ado, here's Dr. Kristen Neff. Enjoy. So I need to make this point about self-compassion because a lot of people get confused here. There is both um, a yin and a yang element to self-compassion. So the yin element of self-compassion involves being with ourselves in a kind way, kind of soothing, comforting, validating ourselves. And if you want to feel what that feels like, you can maybe put your hand on your chest, right? And kind of that sense of being here, being with ourselves, um, being kind, being supportive. But people often forget that there is also a yang, an action element to self-compassion that involves acting in the world, protecting, providing, uh, motivating ourselves to make needed changes, right? So if you think about um, the prototypical um, yang element, you may think of a mother comforting and soothing her crying child, but it's just as compassionate, the prototypical father who works two jobs to put bread on his table for his children, or a fireman who goes into a burning building risking his own life to save people in danger. That's equally compassionate. And to feel kind of what the yang um, element of compassion feels like, which sometimes involves um, protecting people, kind of that mama bear protective energy. We're going to do this together. Sometimes com- self-compassion feels like, no! Let's all do that together three times. No! 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 <laughs> you can feel it, right? It feels energizing. You know, Self-compassion is not just... Um, being complacent and allowing things to be as they are. Sometimes self-compassion says, I gotta make a change. I'm harming myself or I'm harming someone else. I need to do something about it. So again, self-compassion is concerned with the alleviation of suffering. And often that means uh, taking action. 
So just let me briefly talk about the research on self-compassion. It's really exploding. You know, back in 2003, I wrote the first article defining and measuring self-compassion, and now there are well over 1,500 studies on self-compassion. So it's an exploding field of study. Um, and the bottom line is self-compassion is really strongly linked to well-being. So we know that people who are more self-compassionate or who are put in a self-compassionate mood or who are trained to be more self-compassionate, they have better well-being. They're less, um, they've got less negative mind states, less depression, anxieties, um, shame, stress, you name it, uh, less um, problems with body image, etc. At the same time, people who are more self-compassionate ex experience more positive states of being. You know, they're happier, they're more hopeful, they're more optimistic, they can appreciate their bodies. There's even some evidence that it helps um, healthy immune function. Okay? And it's a little unusual for a single psychological construct to be so positively linked to good things and so strongly negatively linked to bad things. Uh, and that's because I think there's something special about self-compassion, the experience of self-compassion, that explains, is explained when we, when we describe the three components of self-compassion, kindness, mindfulness, common humanity, as loving, connected presence. When you say those words, you can kind of feel what that evokes. When we are in a state of self-compassion, we are in a state of loving, connected presence. And so when we embrace our struggle or our feelings of inadequacy or our pain in loving, connected presence, it helps reduce the pain, it helps us cope, at the same time that this is a very positive emotion. So there's a real alchemy to self-compassion. Again, we don't get rid of the pain, we're still as imperfect as ever, but by holding ourselves in the midst of our struggle with loving, connected presence, it gives us the strength to thrive. Okay, so um, we have done a lot of research comparing self-compassion um, and self-esteem. Again, this is either with self-report scales or with experimental methods. Um, and we know that you know, self-compassion, like self-esteem, is linked to positive mental health, but it has fewer pitfalls. So um, you know, self-compassion isn't linked to social comparison. You don't have to be better than anyone else to be self-compassionate. You just have to be a flawed human being like everyone else. You know, I can do that. Check that box. That one's possible. Right? So um, that's a good thing. Uh, there's no association with narcissism. Um, it doesn't lead to maladaptive perfectionism the way self-esteem does. Um, and the sense of self-worth is much more stable over time than self-esteem because it's not contingent on success. In other words, self-compassion self steps in precisely when self-esteem fails us, and that's when we are, you know, feel inadequate or aren't doing our best. Um, just have to mention, there are some myths about self-compassion, some very powerful myths that actually really get in our way um, uh, of us be giving ourselves permission to be self-compassionate. Uh, one, we think that self-compassion is weak. Now, I have to say, I'll just tell you a little story. Um, back in 2011, my a book came out and there was a big New York Times article on my self-compassion research, and I was so naive. And I really thought all the online comments on self-compassion would be positive. You know, of course they would be. Self-compassion is the best thing since sliced bread. But uh-uh, about half of them were really negative. And I remember one comment stands out. The comment was, oh, great, just what we need, a nation of sissies. 
right? So a lot of people think that self-compassion is for sissies, that it's a weakness. Um, we know from the research that actually the number one reason people, they could actually be afraid of being self-compassionate is they think it will make them lose their edge, it'll undermine their motivation. Um, Another common fear is that it's going to lead to self-indulgence, right? That if I don't have the whip, I'm going to be lazy, I'm just going to sit around eating bonbons all day. Um, and then finally, this is a very big fear, and I have to say, this one um, strikes women especially, the fear that it's selfish, right? Aren't we supposed to be compassionate toward others? It feels really kind of odd to turn this lens of compassion on ourselves. It feels selfish, like we shouldn't do it. Uh, luckily, now there's a lot of research showing it ain't so. Okay? So what we know from the research, the reality of self-compassion is, first of all, it is not weak. It is not weak. It is one of the most powerful sources of strength, coping, and resilience we have available to us. So people who go through a really hard time, we've looked at people going through a divorce or people with chronic pain, um, looked at parents of autistic children. One study we looked at, we looked at veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and we measured their levels of self-compassion, and then we followed up nine months later to see who was it who developed post-traumatic stress syndrome? And we found that self-compassion was a powerful predictor of PTSD. In other words, those soldiers who could be kind and supportive to themselves were much less likely to develop PTSD. And in fact, their self-compassion level was more powerful than the level of action they saw overseas. Okay? Clearly, being supportive is going to give you more strength to survive and meet life's challenges than cutting yourself down all the time. Um, a lot of research now showing that self-compassion increases motivation. It doesn't undermine it, right? So we know, first of all, one of the, the strengths self-compassion gives you is it makes you less afraid of failure. You know you can take a, a risk, and if you fail, you will still accept yourself. And fear of failure is actually one of the biggest reasons why we aren't motivated to achieve. So self-compassion makes us less afraid of failure, we have uh, less performance anxiety. When we do fail, we're more likely to pick ourselves up again, try again, and keep trying. Um, it's not linked to self-indulgence, just the opposite. Self-compassionate people, they take better care of themselves, they exercise more, they go to the doctor more often, uh, they're more likely to practice safe sex. Again, you know, a, an example would be like a, a parent who cares about their child, they aren't going to indulge their child and let them eat whatever they want and stay up all night, right? A caring parent says, no, you got to eat your vegetables, you got to go to bed on time because I care about you and I want you to be well. The same thing with ourselves. Um, and then finally, a, a big fear of self-compassion is, again, again that, it, that it's selfish. What we know from the research is self-compassion really enhances interpersonal relationships. Um, in fact, I don't know if uh, any of you maybe are on the dating market, maybe you're signed up with one of these online dating programs and you're deciding who to meet for coffee. I have a tip. Send your potential coffee mate to my website, www.selfcompassion.org, have them take my self-compassion scale and get their score. Before you meet for coffee, get their score. Because what we know is that people who score higher in self-compassion are described by their partners as being more caring, more intimate, more loving, less controlling. They tend to compromise more often. 
So in other words, um, when you give yourself what you need, when you give yourself this resource of kindness and, and support and understanding, you actually have more to give to others. Um, there's another reason that I've, I've really uh, seen in my personal life for, for why self-compassion is not selfish. And that's partly the way uh, the human brain is constructed, okay? So um, the human brain is largely designed for the ability to empathetically resonate with the emotions of others. We have a specialized neur uh, neurons called mirror neurons that help us just read the emotions of others. A large part of the real estate of the brain is actually devoted to feeling what other people are feeling, okay? So what does this mean? That means that the mental state that we cultivate is picked up on by others. So think about it, you know, if you're going or walking around feeling inadequate, feeling full of shame, feeling like you hate yourself, every single person you come in contact with is feeling that, they're feeling that shame, they're feeling that frustration. But when you walk around in a state of loving, connected presence, other people are able to feel your loving, connected presence, and it helps them as well, okay? So basically, um, our state of mind impacts everyone we come into contact with. And again, I'm going to tell another Rowan story. This is how I, I really know that this works, because um, you know, some people say autistic people, they, they lack the ability to empathetically resonate with others. That's not the case with Rowan. He was always very, very sensitive. And I remember often what would happen, especially when he was younger, you know, one of the issues with autism is very um, sensitive to sensory input, and he would tantrum at the drop of a hat for no discernible reason. And I remember one time, actually, I was on an airplane with him. We were, we were doing an overseas flight, and it was that point in the flight when they turn the lights down, you know, and everyone's hoping to get a little sleep, and for some reason, that change in the lighting set Rowan off, okay? And he went into a full-on, screaming, flailing tantrum on the plane. He's about five years old at the time, big kid, and what it felt like to me is every person in the plane was going, oh my God, why can't that mother control her kid? What's wrong with that kid? I mean, they were actually probably more compassionate than I realized, but that was what was going through my mind. And I felt really bad also. I was disturbing all these people. They wanted to sleep. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? What are my options? Um, what are my options? I know, I have a brilliant idea. I'll take him to the bathroom, and we'll go in there, I'll let him tantrum in there, and maybe it'll muffle his cries. Okay, so imagine me going down the aisle of the plane, you know, kid flailing, screaming, tantruming, excuse me, sorry, autistic, uh, coming through. We get to uh, the, the little space outside the toilet, which was, of course, occupied, because the lesson life was wanting to teach me was not like how to avoid the tantrum, it was how to cope with the tantrum. So we're outside this little space in the bathroom, and you know, I had no options. I had no options. There was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do to control Rowan or to control the situation. But what I did have was my self-compassion practice, right? So what I did is I, I made sure Warren was safe and, you know, that he wasn't harming himself, but I spent about 95% of my energy 
on myself. I, you know, soothed and comforted myself. You know, I'm so sorry, darling. This is so hard for you. I'm here for you. I mean, I didn't say that out loud. It looked bad enough that I was rocking and holding my chest, but I didn't really care, you know. I was just really rocking and holding my chest. I'm so sorry. Um, and then what happened, not only did it give me the ability to cope, I noticed that as soon as I was able to calm myself down, Rowan calmed down. And I saw this over and over again in our relationship. You know, let's face it, some days I wasn't able to do that. Some days I would feel frustrated or I'd blame myself. Is it something I did? You know, I forgot to give him protein that morning. That must be it. And when I started self-blaming or getting agitated, Rowan would ramp up. Right? He would get more extreme in his behavior. But the more I could calm and soothe myself, again, um, embody the state of loving, connected presence, the more Rowan would feel it. Okay? So really, I, especially for, for caregivers, people who think it's selfish to be um, self-compassionate, uh, it's really not. It's actually one of the kindest things you can do for other people. Big thanks to Dr. Kristen Neff for stopping by. You can connect with her by visiting her website, selfcompassion.org. You can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Kristen Neff and check out her newest book, which just was released a few months ago. It is entitled Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. And if you like this clip, I'll have a link to the entire talk as well as all the links to connect with her and all the amazing work that she is doing. They will all be in the show description. And also, if you'd like to hear another talk with Dr. Kristen Neff, you can go back to episode, hold on one second, I wrote it down, episode number 80. That's the last time that she was featured on the show. So you can go and check that one out. And lastly, don't forget to follow the show, share it, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. As always, I greatly appreciate you for it. And, and also, if you liked, you can email me directly at mj at depressiondetoxshow.com and share your biggest challenge or struggle that you currently are facing with your mental health, whether that be anxiety, depression, overwhelm, um, whatever comes to your mind. And I just love to hear from you. And in doing this, it helps me better serve you with better content for the show, find better speakers, better topics, and possibly create some resources that can help you as well. So I read all the emails. I look forward to hearing from you and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you back here Friday. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.